he was given the opportunity to sing a song that he could read off a sheet, um, but he knew, and he, then he was given the opportunity to sing a song based on what he knew about who God was. So what makes a difference for you? Do you come to church and do you read your Bible and do you give to charity because it's the nice thing to do, it's a good thing to do, it's what the Bible says you're supposed to do? Or do you really believe that God is active in your life and you live accordingly? One of the questions that is, uh, is probably um, one of the most asked questions among people um, is, what is my purpose? Michael Jr. calls this knowing your why. And when he, he talked about um, that experience with Daryl, one of the things that he said was um, that the first time he sang that song is simply because he was asked to sing it. The second time he knew why he was singing it. And that's what made all the difference. So a lot of people ask the question, what is my purpose? And as Christians um, or people who are religious or who believe in God, they ask the question a different way and they say, what is God's will for my life? So we're going to address that this morning, um, and you're going to leave here um, even more confused, but hopefully more encouraged. And, I, and we'll get to that um, as far as why that's the case in a little bit. So when people talk about God's will, and they say, what is God's will for my life? That is a huge question um, that I cannot answer for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to address uh, some things to keep in mind as you pursue God's will. So that as you pursue God's will for you, as you pursue your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that, um, that he can work with you and the Holy Spirit can lead you. And hopefully you will be moving toward a point of being more open to what God has to say to you so that you can follow God's will for your life instead of me telling you generally, what is God's will for you? So how are we going to do this? Well, first of all, we are going to start with generals. Um, we're going to start with um, God's will, as Scripture describes it, in, a, in, a several, in several different instances. Um, so, uh, so what does Scripture say about God's will? The first thing, one of the things it addresses is God's will for mankind, um, which is salvation. So when people say, what is God's will for my life? Um, generally, the first thing is that you become a child of God. That's the first step. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter says, The Lord does not delay his promises, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I'm going to go ahead and, and, uh, and put this out there for you, that if you are not a child of God already, it doesn't matter anything else I say, because you will never be able to follow God's will for your life. And you can disagree with me if you want to, and that would make you wrong. Because God has a special relationship with people that place their faith in his son, Jesus Christ, as the atoning work for the forgiveness of their sins. So if you're not a child of God, I, I hate to say it this way, but I can't think of a better way to say it as God the Father. He has no obligation to provide for you in the way that you would like him to provide for you. I provide for my kids in a way that I don't ask anybody else to do it. And you provide for yours in a way that nobody else can or nobody else should. I want you to understand this, that if I see somebody who is hungry, if I see a child that is, um, that is hurt, I will care for them. Sometimes I think people, I'm afraid that people are going to think I'm creepy because, um, well, several reasons, but uh, because if we're... If we're at, um, at Walmart or, um, or at, you know, some place where there's a lot of people, every once in a while, you'll see that kid who got away, right? You see the kid who's by themselves. I never go up and, and approach that kid because I don't want to be arrested. However, I will, from a distance, follow that kid around to make sure that the only person who picks him up is their mother or father, whoever it is they came with it, that recognized them. Because I'm concerned about that child, and I want what is best for that child, um, and I want to uh, make sure that they're safe and that they're taken care of. But once they're, they're taken care of, my obligation kind of ends. 
So does God have a loving relationship with people? He does. He loves all people. And he provides, and the scripture says that the sun shines on the just and the unjust, and it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. And um, so whether you are a wicked person who is a farmer, and you're an atheist, or you hate God, or you think religion is um, the biggest mess and the biggest lie that anybody has ever been perpetrated on, God will still rain on your crops because he sends rain. Your life will be good and your life will be bad. Just like everybody else's life is going to be good and bad. The difference is, um, what does God do to care for you differently? There are things that I teach my children differently than I speak to other children about. I have more intimate conversations with my kids. I answer more questions. I read to them at night or tuck them in at night, and I give them hugs and kisses, and we wrestle on the floor, and we take them camping, and, um, and we pay for um, their sports or their camps or their events or whatever that I don't do for everybody else's kids because, for lack of a better term, that's not my responsibility or my obligation. So I want you to understand as Awful as the pictures that make God, makes God looks, understand that I'm not saying that God does not love you, he doesn't care for you, because he does. And the scripture says, it says, this is how um, we know what love is, that somebody lays down a life for his friend. And John was, uh, I mean, uh, and John quotes Jesus as saying, in the middle of a conversation, in the middle of the night with a religious leader, he sa- who says, how can, um, how can I know God? How can I be saved? Who are you? And who am I in response? Probably the most uh, quoted, the most uh, famous verse of John 3, 16. He said, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. And I want you to understand that you're a part of that world that God loves so much that he gave his son to die for you. It's not about working hard. It's not about um, crossing your fingers on your deathbed and hoping you make it. It's not about giving the most to charity. It is about believing in Christ as the one who can forgive your sins, has already paid for, the, uh, for your way um, to, um, to have a relationship with God. And then from that point forward, the good works that you do are simply an expression of appreciation for what God has done for you. I want you to understand that, um, that that's, that is kind of the way that this works. And of course, that's a very thin and very narrow and very human understanding way of explaining it. It's overly simplistic. But I want you to understand that God is not giving up on you. And as Peter says, he says, he is patient with you because he doesn't want you to perish, but he wants everybody to come to repentance. So, and then in 1 Timothy 2.4, the scripture says, God wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. God wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God's will for mankind to start off with, his, his will for mankind is to have that relationship, um, it's to repent, and, and ultimately the term that we, that we often use is for them to be saved. God wants you to be a part of his family. So understand that if you haven't taken that step, if you haven't received God's grace personally and said, all right, God, I'm going to trust you that I can't do this on my own, I can't make you happy by trying my best, So I'm just going to trust that what you said happened for me, happened for me. It doesn't matter how much you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you are. And it doesn't matter how long you wait. You can't say Jesus is for children. And you can't say I'm too bad. God would never forgive me. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago. And he was, he was concerned about um, his relationship with God based on a lot of the things that he had done um, years ago. 
And I pointed them to David. And David was an adulterer and a murderer after God had called him to be king. And after he was actually the king. And I pointed to Paul. Paul was on his way to have Christians killed for being Christians when God called him to the ministry of serving Jesus Christ. And Paul changed the world because of the work specifically of a man named Barnabas. When nobody else believed that God had saved Paul and called him, Barnabas said, come on, guys. We all have our histories. And if God can save us, he can save Saul. And then they said, fine. Come on in. And his life was turned around and his name was changed to Paul. And he went out preaching against what he had ever preached before. Living a life under the law, knowing everything that the law had to say, he went out and he preached that the law is no good for knowing God. In fact, he writes in Romans 3.20, essentially this is what he says. He says the purpose of the law is to show us that we need a Savior. The point of the law is not to save us, it's to make us aware that we cannot do this on our own. And it draws us to become dependent on God for our salvation. So, um, so Paul is one of the ones that had a worse history. If you're looking at, um, at how to become a Christian, Paul was not the best candidate. And yet, he is probably um, the greatest apostle um, in the church. Everybody had their place, and they were all amazing. But he had the greatest turnaround, went the farthest, um, and made the greatest impact. Even to the point of most of the New Testament is written by him, or a large portion of it. So um, scripture talks about God's will for, um, in the point of salvation. If you haven't made that decision, if you think that you're too bad, you are not. If you think it's too late, it's not. And God's will for you, to start off with, God's will for you is, is for you to come to repentance. For you to say, I will leave who I was and I'll become who you've made me to be. So um, another part of God's will that's expressed in scripture is man's treatment for each other. So we look at Zechariah 7, 9, and 10, and it says, The Lord of hosts says this, Render true justice. Show faithful love and compassion to one another. Don't oppress the widow or the fatherless, the stranger, the poor, and do not plot evil in your hearts against one another. So essentially what he says is treat each other with kindness and goodness and make sure that each, um, each other is taken care of. All right, so, um, so those, are, those are basic general. Next one is the will for the individual. The will for the individual. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. All right? So, um, so again, God's individual, his will for you individually is salvation first. Um, so that you can actually offer your life as an act of worship and um, as a living sacrifice uh, for God to, to use you. All right, then we look at God's will for individual situations. And these aren't as clear, but there, there are some examples. One of them, even Jesus depended on God um, to direct him where he's supposed to go. So Jesus returned from the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. I want you to take a note here um, that he was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Do not be mistaken to think that um, any time the Spirit leads you somewhere, um, that it's going to be an amazing, enjoyable time. But we also look at, uh, at what we're told about Christ, that he endured everything that we endured. I personally think that's one of the things that makes him such an amazing intercessor for us. That's his job now. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes on our behalf. So as we go through a rough time, Jesus looks at his Father and says, that's a tough one, been there. 
little help. <laughs> so um, Jesus was led um, into, into the wilderness, and he was led by the Spirit. Um, and while he was there, he was tempted by the devil so that he could resist the temptation, so that he could maintain his purity, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. All right, um, another one is uh, Luke 2.27. It says, um, it says uh, that it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And God, about his spirit, he entered the temple complex as Joseph and Mary brought Jesus in for the circumcision. So um, God does lead us in individual situations, but then we also look at it this way. The will, his will as a map for my life. His will is a map for my life. And the best, the best verse that I can think of for this is John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. If you want to know what um, God's will is for you, um, then the, easy, the first thing that's important, of course, um, is to come to repentance, come to salvation, and then to listen for his voice. Learn to recognize his voice. Our little dog responds differently when I call her in versus when somebody else calls her in. And um, she has a tendency to run away um, because I'm a bad pud owner. Um, but um, but, but she, she does. She runs off. Um, and it's to the point now um, where I don't feel like calling for her. I don't feel like yelling. So we have a, you know, a glass door and door. And I just come up and I'm like, and I, and I just sit there and she comes running around the corner. She's a, little, she's a chihuahua. She's like this big. So her, she just like, she goes flying across. And then she comes up and says, yes. You know, so um, I, was, I was right off the porch. I don't know how you missed me. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't, I don't have to call her. I don't have to cry for her or whatever. She recognizes um, my way of calling her. And in the same way, um, I call her differently than somebody else does. And in the same way, God calls you differently than he calls me. He speaks to you differently than he speaks to me. And my experience is different. Um, Randy, Ronnie, and I all have uh, drastically different experiences of how God called us to ministry and how he called us to harvest. All of us have different experiences. Um, and yet we recognize over the, um, over the course of that interaction with him and due to our experience with him, we recognize how he spoke to us and what he was calling us to do. And we followed, even if not begrudgingly. All three of us had a hard time letting go of where we were to come here. So G. Campbell Morgan says this. He says, the doctrine of the inner light is not sufficiently taught. To the individual believer who is by the very fact of relationship to Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, there is granted the direct impression of the Holy Spirit of God on the spirit of man, imparting the knowledge of his will in matters of the smallest and greatest importance. This has to be taught. It has to be sought and waited for. It has to be sought and waited for. We have to, um, to seek God out, seek his will, and then we have to wait for it. That is a, horribly thing, a horrible thing for those of us who are impatient. So we can talk about God's will and we can look at ways to determine his will, um, but we can't really answer what his will actually is for you. So the best we can do is kind of give you some ingredients to keep in mind um, so, that, uh, so that you can, um, you can make your own... Uh, Make your own determination of God's will is kind of like baking a cake for Ikea. Happy 73rd birthday, Ikea. Here's your cake. Does anybody here not know who, what Ikea is? Yeah, it's kind of dry in here, so I'm assuming you don't. <laughs> Ikea is one of those furniture companies that you, uh, you buy the piece of furniture, they send it to you in your box, and you put it together yourself. So this is somebody baking a cake for Ikea. Say, so here you go. Happy birthday. Make your own cake. Um, so uh, as we talk about God's will, um, the best we can do today is kind of give you some things to keep in mind as you pursue God's will, and you can bake that cake um, at the appropriate time. So, uh, so the first step, becoming a child of God, if that one's been met, then we understand that we can begin to know the will of God in more specific ways. So um, Paul gives a list of these in letters to the Thessalonians. Um, and 1 Thessalonians, um, if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians for me. Um, and we're going to read two passages in here that, um, that he uh, sends some final instructions to the church uh, before he wraps up his letter. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, um, starting verse 1, 
He says this, 1 through 12, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God, as you are doing, do so even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, so that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this doesn't reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. So one of the things that, um, that, that he tells the church of Thessalonica is, um, I love this in verse 3, that he says, For this is God's will, your sanctification. And then there's a colon there. In English, there's a colon. Um, and it's this, that you abstain from sexual immorality. But I'm not going to focus on that. He goes more into talking about that um, because apparently that was an issue that the church at Thessalonica had. Um, in, the, in the Greek culture, um, sexual activity of all flavors, all varieties, um, was all over the place. And it was a common theme in a lot of Paul's letters um, that he said, hey, you used to be this kind of person. You have to lay off that now. Living as a, um, as a follower of Jesus Christ, living as a child of God, you can't do what everybody else is doing. And he mentioned this specifically because it was rampant in the Greek culture. Um, but he says this, and I love this in verse 3, for this is God's will, your sanctification. God's will is our sanctification. Sanctification is a big word, which means God cleaning us up. All right? So... Um, so we talk about uh, salvation and, and the Christian life and really in three words, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification means um, that God um, has paid the price for our sin. We've been made right, and now we're guilt-free. All right? Um, our debt has been paid. The prison term has been taken care of. The blood has been shed, and it didn't fall on us. Somebody else did it and applied it to us, and God dropped the gavel and said, you're free. All right, so that's justification. Sanctification is a process of being made holy, being cleaned up and, um, and becoming more and more and more like, um, like the, heart, with the heart of Jesus Christ, um, looking like him, acting like him, seeing things the way he does. And that's what sanctification is. And then glorification is at our death. We receive our glorified bodies um, and pain is gone, tears are gone, um, and we are who we were ultimately created to be. So as we talk about that, but this is God's will, your sanctification. So what he's telling the church at Thessalonica, he says, you were created for a purpose, and God's will for you is that you grow toward that purpose. You be cleaned up so that you can actually fulfill what God has called you to do. In 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12, he says, um, then he starts giving this final list of things to the church before he signs off. He says, now we ask you, brothers, to give recognition to those who labor among you, and lead you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you or encourage you, brothers, warn those who are lazy, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things, hold on to what is good, and stay away from every form of evil. So those are Paul's, um, kind of his last words to the church at Thessalonica in that first letter. He said, before I go, these are things for you guys to work on. So God's will for us is to follow this, this list. Um, I know I'm not the only one who has a problem with rejoicing always, praying constantly, giving thanks in everything, stifling the spirit, despising prophecies, and not staying away from every form of evil. I can't be the only one. So this is God's will for us to do these things. They're more specific. So this kind of gives us, and James has some things to say, and John has some things to say, and of course, Jesus has lots of things to say. Paul has lots of stuff to say in other versions. I mean, in other books he's written. 
Um, but when we're looking through Scripture, then, um, then we can find out how we are to behave um, because the Holy Spirit works in tandem with the Word of God. We read the Bible here, and the Holy Spirit who is here says, this is what it says, and this is what it means for you. Fix that. One of my favorite uh, little stories um, <laughs> was a, a comedian, and I've t- I probably told this before, but it's perfect here. Um, was, he was talking about um, going to a restaurant and going to the bathroom, and, uh, and he saw the sign over the, over the sink that said, um, employees must wash hands before returning to work. And somebody had written in there with a, um, with a Sharpie, especially you, Ricky. <laughs> and when, we, when, when we read the scripture, that's the sign that's out there, hey, everybody. But when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, that's especially you. And that's part of what his job is. It's to tell us, hey, this is how that works for you. One of the, the problems with the, um, the question, we ask this question a lot, is, is what does the Bible say to me? Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell, it, tell you, it doesn't matter what the Bible says to you. It matters what the Bible says. You don't get to interpret it on your own. But the Holy Spirit will do that on your behalf. We are to study to show ourselves approved. Workmen who desire the good things of God. And, and what we're told to do is to know what God's word is, to know what God's will is, and to pursue that. And the Holy Spirit is the one who will make things clear for us and work with us to, um, to sanctify us, to move us more um, toward Christ-likeness. But our responsibility is diligence. So when we're considering, when we're looking at uh, seeking God's will, um, there are some things for us to consider. And the first is, is the Bible clear in its instruction concerning my decision um, or my direction. So there are things that, that we don't have to pray about. I don't have to pray about if I need money, whether or not I should embezzle it from the church. I never have asked that, asked God, should I do this or not? Don't worry. I know the answer. We're good. <laughs> Giving your receipts on time, that's a different issue, but I'm not embezzling money from the church. All right, so um, <laughs> should that have been a private co- Anyway, it's, it's fine. Um, but those are, there are things we don't have to pray about. Should I kill my neighbor whose dog went to the bathroom in my, in my yard? No, you don't pray about that. Sorry, Melissa and Frank, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but there are things we don't have to pray about. We don't have to ask God, is this okay if we do this? Should I or should I not do this? Um, another thing you don't have to pray about is should I move in with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? The answer is no, no. You don't have to pray about that, no. Here's what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and lie in defiance of the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come down from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where, every, for where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil, but the wisdom from above is first pure and peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits without favoritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom from Scripture, wisdom from God, isn't, um, doesn't drive us toward anger and hatred. It drives us toward, um, toward peace and gentleness and mercy. And James talks about this, and it's labeled here, um, the wisdom from above. Our wisdom is not the same as God's wisdom. Number two, was I obedient and following God in the last step? Was I obedient and following God in the last step? Um, Acts 20. One, well, one of the things that, uh, that happens to us is um, God says, all right, this is what I want you to do. And you say, okay, noted. Then what? And God says, we'll do this, and then we'll talk. Canon has this habit of um, eating lunch and asking what's for dinner. And the answer is whatever you don't finish for lunch. Um, but it's, it's hard for us to do, um, to do what we're told to do a lot of times, and, um, and then we wait for something good or something better to come along. Um, after Paul, in Acts 20 and 21, uh, Paul gives his farewell address to the Ephesians, 
And it says in verse 36, after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There was a great deal of weeping by everyone and embracing Paul, they kissed him, grieving most of all over a statement that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. After we tore ourselves away from them and set sail, we came by a direct route to Kaz, the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. Uh, finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre because the ship was to unload its cargo there. So we found some disciples and stayed there seven days. They said to Paul through the, through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were over, we left to continue our journey while all of them with their wives and children escorted us to, out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said goodbye to one another. Then we boarded the ship and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached uh, Ptolemaeus, where we uh, greeted the brothers and stayed there one day. The next day we left, came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. While we were staying there many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into Gentile hands. When we heard this, both we and the local people begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul replied, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? I'm sorry, I have to do this in the the quintessential Jewish voice, Paul is a Jew. What are you doing? You're weeping and breaking my heart. All right, so I'm just thinking Mel Brooks kind of coming out there a little bit. Um, Paul's a mention. All right, so he says, I'm not ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we stopped talking and simply said, the Lord's will be done. So Paul went from telling um, the Ephesians, he said, I have to go. I'll be dead before I get a chance to come back. And then he went on, um, and stopped uh, to, um, at a place, and they found a church, and they spent a week there, um, got to know them a little bit, and then went and spent a day somewhere, and then, um, and then was prophesied over. And then he said, okay, well, um, I have to go. It's time for me to die, coming up pretty soon, so I'll never see you again either. And they were saying, uh, saying don't go, don't go. Sounds familiar. Like the disciples telling Jesus, no, 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 you don't have to do that. We'll, uh, we'll protect you. But then they said, I love this. He says, we stopped talking. And we simply said, the Lord's will be done. In other words, as much as we would love for you to, to stay here, Paul, as much as we would love for you to be, um, to be part of us or for you to go somewhere and be safe, um, whatever God wants... We're on board with that, I guess. So are we obedient to following God in the last step that we took, as Paul was? He could have stayed in Ephesus because as, um, he said, they especially wept when I told them they would never see my face again. He knew what was coming, and he said, well, I got to go die now. Not because he was excited about that, but look what his attitude was. I'm not ready only to be bound. I'm not, I'm not only ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Not only to be bound, but also to die if necessary. And there, everybody's response was, whatever God wants. Whatever God wants. All right, the third thing is, am I spending time regularly in personal and corporate Bible study? This is corporate. You alone at home is personal. They're both very, very important. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. Some versions say it's very effective to dividing the deepest parts of who we are. If you want to know what God has planned for you, if you want to learn to recognize his voice, it can't happen apart from personal independent Bible study as well as corporate Bible study so that other people can speak into your life and you can hear about God's experience with them. Kip Ingram was my systematic theology professor, um, and he made this quote, and it just occurred to me, so I didn't put it up there. Uh, but he said this. He said, the beauty of the church is that our own understanding of God is enriched by other people's experiences. The beauty of the church is that our own understanding of God is enriched by other people's experiences. 
So staying at home and saying, hey, I don't need to go to church to, to worship God, you're wrong, you do. My, um, my father served, uh, it was in volunteer leadership for a long time under a, um, under a well-known pastor. I mean, he's well-known in the South anyway. Um, and, uh, and he got to know him really well, and he would go on visits with him on occasion and stuff like that. And, um, and they went to visit somebody in the hospital. And he was a church member, but he never came to church. He was like the, the husband, I think it was like the husband of one of their active members, and they found out he, had sur- he was having surgery, so she asked, would you go visit my husband in the hospital? So he did. And, uh, and the pastor said, you know, as they were talking, he said, well, we hope to see you around the, um, around the church some. And he said, you know, I don't have to go to, um, go to church to worship God. He said, I, you know, I watch the messages on TV. And he said, uh, he said, all right, well, that's good, but Charles Stanley didn't come to your bedside, did he? You may be one of the people who, who feels like, or maybe you have friends or family members who say I don't have to be a part of a local church. But where, where is the pastor that they watch on TV? when they have a need. I will admit up front that, um, that we miss a lot of stuff. Randy and Ronnie and I do, Teresa does, Joyce does. We do the best with what we find out. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this out there for you. Um, Facebook is not the same as a call to the office. You laugh. If there is something that that you need from a pastor, do not hesitate to ask. But also don't be upset if you don't ask and we don't show up. We want to be here for you. We want to minister to you. We're available for that. But we have to know. It's not just our job to do that. It's a pleasure for us. It's an honor for us to be able to do that. So please let us know. We would rather our office be flooded with phone calls on a Monday morning or a Tuesday evening, our cells, cell phones ringing off the hook, text messages chiming from 8 or 10 or 15 or 25 people saying, did you hear about so-and-so? Then for miss somebody in church a couple weeks and go find out they were in, um, in a car wreck or had surgery or had a family loss or were out of work or any number of things, and then... Uh, Please let us know what's going on so we can help you out. Please. This is my will for you. All right. So am I spending time regularly in personal and corporate Bible study? Corporate Bible study is important for a lot of different reasons so that we can learn from each other. And um, as God moves in my life, I tell you what he's doing and your faith is strengthened and the other way around. So am I, am I doing that? And am I doing it in personal Bible study as well? Um, we do... Uh, we have sheets every January um, for December and January for through the Bible in a year. Um, and there's a couple of different plans to read it um, with all the apps and all the, um, the devotionals and everything like that. There's lots of opportunities if you say, I don't know how to study the Bible on my own. All right, well, you can start. Um, the other thing is, uh, is Mark has a class on Sunday evenings that we're talking about how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible and to hear from God. So, um, so get involved in those kind of things so you can hear from God and recognize his voice. Uh, the next thing is, am I active where I am while I wait? Okay, am I active where I am while I wait? While I'm waiting for God to show me what the next step is, am I actively serving um, where I am or am I sitting idly by until God calls me? All right, number five, um, am, I seeking and, um, am I praying and seeking godly counsel? I'm maturing spiritually and enlisting the wisdom and prayers um, of what... And, of others is essential to preparing to serve in whatever ways the Lord has prepared for me. Um, in 2 Samuel 16, um, I, I actually, I'll be honest with you, I just found this out. I just now saw this this, week, uh, this weekend. It's pretty cool. Um, I wish somebody would say this about me sometime. Maybe I'll get to this point. Absalom uh, went to get some ad, um, advice from a guy whose name I can barely pronounce. Um, Ahithophel, I said, 
um, I think it is. And I love this. In, in uh, 16.23, first, uh, I'm sorry, that's a, sorry, 2 Samuel 16.23, says this. Now the advice Ahithophel gave in those days was like someone asking about a word from God. Such was the regard that both David and Absalom had for his advice. How cool would that be to somebody say, I, I want to know what God has to say about this. I'll go ask Art. But you don't get, I, don't, I won't get to that place by just, um, well, let me see what I, can, what I can squeeze in. Let me see what I can do. That comes from commitment and dedication and being obedient and growing in spiritual maturity. Um, I've known some people like this, that when they say, um, I think that God would, uh, would probably want you to look in this direction. They might not tell me exactly what God has to say, but I know that if I go to them, I'm going to hear uh, pretty much what God's direction may be. They're not going to uh, steer me wrong. Dallas Willard says this. If you, there's a book Dallas Willard wrote called, uh, called Hearing from God. If you um, don't have it, get it. It's very, very good. In any case, we must certainly go beyond, though never around, the words of the Bible to find out what God is speaking to us. As we have already seen, the teachings of the Bible, no matter how thoroughly studied and firmly believed, can never by themselves constitute our personal walk with God. They have to be applied to us as individuals and to our individualized circumstances or they remain no part of our lives. They remain no part of our lives. So we're not always ready for God's whole will. Would you guys agree with that? Like, oh, a new believer, say, all right, God, what do you want for my life? Okay, well, let me tell you what the next 45 years hold for you. No! A friend of mine in, um, in college, um, he's, uh, he's been on and off the mission field teaching in um, academies and, and private schools for missionary kids. Um, he's back in the States now with his, uh, with his, like his family, and um, he's gone on to get a master's and a Ph.D. and stuff like this. And I remember as sophomores in college, um, we, did, we were doing Bible study in his room, devotional, and, and he was leading it. And uh, he'd only been a Christian for like three years. He got saved when he was like 16 or 17, something like that. Um, and, uh, and then God quickly called him into ministry. But he said, man, I'm so glad God didn't show me 10 years ago what I was going to be doing or I'd be freaked out. So God doesn't always reveal things to us in the way uh, that we would like and the time that, we, are, uh, that we're, we think we're ready for him. Um, you guys remember uh, Jesus' call to his disciples, um, which was uh, taken to marketing firms. They, they planned a, um, a great scheme for him with uh, multimedia marketing. Um, and they said, if you're going to draw people, this is what you need to do. And he said, I've got this. And he walked down and yelled from the beach, hey, follow me. Okay. So they just, everybody just dropped what they were doing and climbed out of their boat. And this is before Peter could walk on the water. And, um, and you know, um, went and followed Jesus. And that was it. He said, follow me. And they followed him. That was it. So they spent some time with him, three years, knowing everything that was going on. Um, and then um, G- Peter denied Christ as he was going through his trial. The disciples all scattered. Peter said, I can't believe he's dead. I'm going fishing. Jesus showed up and he said, make me some fish. Restored him by asking him if he loved him. And then he told him what his future was. I assure you, John 21, 18, 19, I assure you. When you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify him. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. So he didn't tell Peter when he first called him, hey, come with me and I'll make you fishers of men until you're put to death for following me. He didn't do that. But he let Peter learn who he was and spend time with him and and invest him. And we know that Peter was the guy who was always uh, shooting his mouth off. Anytime Jesus would ask a question, Peter was the guy who would answer it, right? Are you guys going to leave me? Where are we going to go? You're the only one who knows what you're talking about. You have the words of life. And everybody's like, oh, Peter. Who do you guys say I am? You're the Messiah. Pete, dude. 
All right, so he was always the one who was answering the questions. His faith was that way. Um, and then when Jesus said, um, are you guys going to leave? And Peter's like, no, not me. I would never turn my back on you. And Jesus said, really? Really, Pete? That's, that's where you're going? Well, let me tell you what's going to happen tonight. And he did. And Peter grieved. And I wonder how many times over the course of the next three or four days, he said, I can't believe I did that. And he cried at, um, and called himself names and said, if I had that to do over again, I would never deny Jesus. And then Jesus shows up. He said, just so you know, Peter, you're going to die for me. At that point, Peter was ready. Because of what he had gone through while he waited, thinking that the future was gone, everything was up, Jesus revealed to him that after the, the point that, um, that Peter had gone through what he needed to be able to, to go through to say, okay, if you, I will follow you, yes. I will go wherever it is you want me to go. I will do it. Yes, I will. Yes. A little pin, I'm with Jesus. All right, so... Um, so God does that for us sometimes. There was a movie that came out called The Great Outdoors, John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Um, and, uh, and they spent some time in a cabin in the North Woods, and one night they go to dinner. And, uh, and at the restaurant, they're eating Paul Bunyan's Steakhouse. Um, Dan Aykroyd sees the menu. He says, what's this, the old 96er? And the waitress said, that's a 96-ounce steak. And if anybody at your table eats the whole thing, everybody eats free. So what do you think, Chet? You want to give it a shot? Bill? <laughs> that steak. Processing nicely. Uh, Processing very, very uh, nicely. All right, continue. just about does it. He's not done yet. Well, he may take a little while with that last bite, but it'll go down. That ain't the last bite. Well, sure it is. There's nothing on that plate but gristle and fat. Double the bet. Double the bet. No problem. Listen, if I can get a dessert down him, I think you could throw in a couple of Paul Bunyan hats for the kids. <laughs> if I can get some dessert down him, can you throw in some hats for the kids? Just think if you had said, yes, I will follow Christ. And he said, great. And he drops right in your lap, your entire future laid out for you. Tell me that wouldn't be your face. Tell me you wouldn't, you wouldn't look just like that. See what this picture looks like. Would this, uh, would this be you? Tell me it comes up. There it is. Man, that'd be me right there. I don't want to go. Just imagine if God said, this is my will for you. And he laid the whole thing out. But the best way for us to, um, to take in God's will, no matter how big it is, no matter how overwhelming it seems, is to take the small bites of it, little bits at a time, um, just in the same way that John Candy did there. If we, uh, if we look at um, uh, the importance of pursuing God's will and doing what, it, what he called us to do, um, then um, 
if we, we're uncertain about the long-term consequences and cannot have long-term effects, we, look at, uh, we can look at 1 Samuel 13, um, where, uh, where Saul was the king, and he was up against the Philistines. He was outnumbered and overwhelmed. And Samuel said, I'll be there in a week. Just wait it out. Seven days go by, and Saul's like, man, the Philistines are coming. And he was terrified. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and Samuel didn't show up. So Saul said, you know what I'll do? I'll, um, I will go ahead and offer the sacrifice so that we can get God's favor and we can defeat the Philistines, largely outnumbered. Um, as soon as he did it, Samuel shows up, and his question is, what did you do? Because you did this, your kingdom has been taken away from you. God was all set to establish your throne forever, but it's been taken away from you. Jackie Turner writes a blog article called Seven Ways to Wait, and there's a type of waiting, such as like what we experience at a doctor's office, um, that spiritual formation writers call liminal space. It's the kind of waiting where you have to be right where you are, and you're waiting for something else to start or to move forward. Have you ever... Um, been to the doctor and they say, uh, say you have to be here 15 minutes early for your appointment and you show up 15 minutes early and then you have somewhere else you have to be in an hour um, and they're taking 45 minutes to get to you and you're like, why did I have to be here 15 minutes early but I can't leave and I can't reschedule because it's going to cost me $50 to reschedule. I don't know when I'd be able to do it anyway. That's liminal space. And we have those in our spiritual life. A lot. Where um, God says, just, just hang out here. I, uh, I got married and we moved to Fort Worth um, because I was going to go to seminary, um, which God had called me to while I was in college and had told me this is what's going to happen next. And, um, and it put me in a church, gave me an opportunity. That the, the primary reason uh, that, they, that they called me, or one of the reasons, is because they said, you're going to be gone in a few years. Now, that was encouraging. Heather wanted that in our wedding vows, but I wouldn't do it. I will marry you if you're going to be gone in a few years. Um, but, but he said, he, uh, I was like, well, thanks for that, you know, Dennis. I appreciate it. And he said, he said no, I want you to understand um, that we don't want somebody who's trying to figure out what they're going to do. So what the heck, I'll be a youth pastor until I figure it out. We want somebody who is called to ministry and is going to actually invest in the ministry that while they're here. So he said, so you saying that you're going to seminary in, in a couple of years tells us that you're going to take your job seriously and actually going to invest in your time. That's what he was looking for. So I was there for three years, then went to seminary, graduated. Um, Heather was finishing up um, another semester of college. Um, so I was working, and meanwhile, um, I had received 18 letters of, hey, we're looking for a, a youth pastor. Are you interested? Oh, never mind. That's what I got for, um, for 10 months after I graduated. Meanwhile, I was working in a warehouse, driving a truck, um, working uh, long days and overnight. And, uh, and I, was, I was having several conversations with God, and they were all, I've done everything I was supposed to do. Why am I still in Fort Worth driving a truck? And I asked that question over and over and over again, and I asked it over and over again, and I complained about it over and over again. And finally, um, in the summer of, I don't know, whatever year it was, 90, I don't know, whatever, 98. Anyway, 97. Well, the next year was, anyway, Heather knows more than me. But anyway, I was, um, I was driving the truck, and I was in the back of a truck throwing freight into another truck at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning in Mineral Wells, Texas, which... Um, has one radio station that has three albums, and one of them is Boxcar Willie. It was a hole in the Texas desert. And I'm, uh, I'm in the back of this truck, and I finally lost it. And I was serious when I said this, but, um, but at the same time, I said it out of frustration. And I said, fine, I give up, God. I will go wherever it is you want me to go, and I will do whatever it is you want me to do. And he sent me exactly wherever it is he wanted me to go. We got all excited um, when several months, a couple months later, we got a call from a church in Georgia. And we went, actually went and served at that church for nine years. And there were some great people at that church, but it was a horrible church. That sounds like a terrible thing to say, but it's true. 
but I loved it and I hated it all at the same time. At the same time, I said, I said, thank you, Lord, for the ministry opportunity. When can I go? You know, it was, it was, it was one of those, uh, to give you a, um, a heads up, the church had 20 years of conflict and their, their instinct was um, get rid of the pastor and get a new one. So um, God left me there for a short period of about eight years. And um, we, you know, we had invested in coming to this church and in uh, an interview with, with them and flying out and all that kind of stuff and got to the, to the point of uh, being voted in on, on that Sunday morning, taking a vote to see whether we were going to come or not. And the lady we had been staying with was um, chairman of the search committee and, um, and we're still good friends. She actually was one of the nurses that helped deliver Lexi. And um, she wasn't a nurse at the time. She was just in the hospital. And we said, what the heck, come on in. Um, but she, uh, she leaned over to us before the vote was taken and she said, if you don't get voted in, don't take it personally. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what does that mean? So we got voted in. And, uh, and we were there um, for a rough time. But God taught me a lot. And, um, and uh, eventually we got to the place where we were fine with the church in a lot of ways. We had earned the respect of the people and established some great relationships and um, and we learned a lot about ministry and about people and about perseverance and about struggle. And God taught us a lot about, um, about that to the point that, um, and then he waited until our family was going through a crisis uh, before he said, it's time for you to move out of state. Now we had a different reason to stay where we were. Um, but, uh, but I don't know if you guys know this, it took us six months of conversations with Harvest. Ronnie knows, <laughs> it was a whole process. Um, but, we, uh, but we came, and what a blessing Harvest has been to us. And one of the, sta- the statements that Randy said when we were looking at it is, this is a place where you can heal. And he's right. He's right. So thank you, Harvest. So here are some, some good thoughts from Jackie, um, from Jackie Turner on how to handle yourself while waiting in that liminal space. One of them is wait with trusted companions. Having someone who can see things you can't can be a valuable way to prepare and to mature, surround yourself with people who are, who are with you, who know your story. Number two, keep a journal to sort out your thoughts and to track what the Lord is teaching you. All right? That is horrible for me. I'm very bad with journals. I have a bunch of them that have like 20 entries in it. I have a bunch of them on my shelf that I'm like, hey, they go through like mid-February. Um, but uh, I'm like, oh, I'm starting over a fresh one this year. And it goes through, I think my record is Valentine's. I really... Really do so. Number three, read biographies and autobiographies and journal about the discernment process of the missionary um, in the story to gain insight. Okay, read about the um, read about the process of those that are serving Christ and and God's work in shaping them for their future. All right. Uh, number four, be kind to yourself by caring for your body. This is called self care. Uh, caring for your body and mind as well as your spirit. Establish or continue healthy habits to care for God's temple and to be ready to move when, he, when, uh, when God moves you. Yes, I'm with you on this. Relax. All right? Um, don't look at me and say, mm-hmm. So number five, uh, stay, I'm getting back into it. Just relax. All right, number five, stay in the word and in prayer. It's easy for us to say, you know what? I'm just, I'm sick of it. Um, I will ease back and maybe we give up. I don't know, but it's very hard. So we have to stay in the word and stay in prayer. Number six, Actively resist isolation. It's easy to protect yourself by pulling away, but community is crucial. Find ways to serve. Update others with your story. Request prayer from others and strengthen relationships. And number seven, find find heroes who have endured difficult times and invest in relationships with them. Study the lives of Ruth, Job, Abraham, and David, and God does some of his best work while we wait. God does some of his best work while we wait. J.B. Phillips says of God's timing, If there is one thing that should be quite plain to those who accept the revelation of God in nature and the Bible, it's that he is never in a hurry. Long preparation, careful planning, and slow growth would seem to be the leading characteristics of spiritual life. Yet there are many people whose religious tempo is feverish. They proceed to drive themselves and their followers nearly mad with tension and anxiety. We have to be about the Lord's business, and we do. I'm going to finish up with this. I read a blog by a guy named Ted Draper, and he asked a question. He said, do you need a calling? And he's talking about his, uh, um, 
his time as a missionary that is on and off. And he said, you know, I never got called to missions, but I was provided opportunities to serve on missions and I took them. I was provided opportunities to go and to serve and I loved my time and I didn't. And he said, but I took advantage of the opportunities at other people's prompting and God shaped me as a result of it. So he says this, he's looking back on one of his international mission fields and he says this. I've been back working in missions now for less than six months and there is nothing more I'd rather do. Maybe my excitement is a reflection of God's call in my life. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm expecting a burning bush or a pillar of smoke or at the very least a voice resounding in the thunder. Maybe I'm waiting for something that will never come. Of course, it's possible that I don't hear a clear voice from God about my calling because I don't allow God to speak into my life as I should. Maybe he doesn't speak to me on the large issues because I don't ask him to speak into my life daily on what I consider to be the small items, the things I can manage. Maybe I'm too busy, too goal-oriented to allow God, the God who spoke the world into existence to speak to me. As you pursue God's will for you, these are some things to keep in mind. What are you doing while you wait? What does God's voice sound like to you? What has his experience with you been? Take those into consideration. Stay active serving where you are while waiting for God's next step. And don't be surprised if he doesn't give you the whole stake at once. He knows what's best. And he will give it to you in the bites that you can handle. And prepare you for the, the bigger meal to come. I'm telling you this not as somebody um, who has it all figured out, but as somebody who waits just like you. I get worried, I get anxious, I get nervous, and I wonder what the next thing is, even as I sit at the dinner, dinner to eat my lunch now. Thanks for the lunch, what's for dinner? I want to encourage you to pursue God's will for your life because really you and God are the only ones who can figure out what that is and who can know it. And I want to encourage the rest of us as, um, as church members, as friends and family, to surround each other. To commit to, um, to being part of the family that God will use to speak into each other's lives about the direction that he leads them into. Paul showed up seemingly randomly at a layover for his, uh, on his ship. And while he was there for a few days, just because he found a church, he's there for a few days, and they said, don't go. Change your plans. Because the Lord had told them to let him know. God can do that for us. But we have to be about, um, about daily wondering what it is God calls us. Maybe the greater question for us shouldn't be, what is God's will for my life? Maybe we should start with, what is God's will for my day? Follow God today, just today. Where he leads you to go, if you see an opportunity to serve or to make someone's life better or to share the gospel or to care for somebody, just today. I found God in the, um, in the little moments of just doing something Christ-like. And it's been pretty amazing. I want to encourage you to do that. Don't get overwhelmed with the steak. Just take a bite. Just today. Some of you aren't ready to accept any of God's will. Not ready to hear from because you haven't taken just the first step. It's to become a child of God. We're going to pray. And the opportunity is here for you to take that first step. I'll be here. We'll send you, you can talk to somebody, tell them what, uh, what's going on, what you want to do. Um, because God's desire for you, and I can tell you with absolute confidence, God's desire for you is to come to repentance. That's what he wants. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be one of his children. And then he can work with you and talk with you the rest of your life about what else he has for you. But having that relationship with God is what starts you on the path to being who he actually designed you to be. So if you want to do that, here I is. You can come up and we'll chat it out.
All right, let's go ahead and pray as the praise team comes up. Go and stand with me, please. Father, we're so thankful that you are a God who is intimately involved in our life, that you know everything there is to know about us. You love us as we are. You created us this way. And even though we feel like we've messed it up, you can redeem us and you will. So Father, I pray that if uh, there is somebody here that has never taken that first step, that their heart will be soft and they will overcome their fear and they will step out even if nervous or even if a little bit anxious, if they're willing to say, I need to be saved. I need to start my life from here forward in the hand of God. That they will receive that. Thank you that your word does tell us that we can know your will and that you guide us in all kinds of things. Thank you for being interested in the little things and not just the big things. Thank you for loving us that way. In your name we pray, amen. Come on up if you want to receive Christ. Maybe you, uh, you feel like this is a place that, uh, that God wants you to be as part of a church family. Come on up. We'll talk you through that, being a part of the, the membership of Harvest Fellowship. Stand together as we sing.